All right, folks, we're in lesson 18 today, so we're up to chapter uh, 46. We're going to go to 46, verse 1, through chapter 48, verse 22. And, and I've entitled this section, Babylon and Israel, because there's going to be some specific prophecies concerning Babylon, which, by the way, when this was written wasn't even an issue. Okay, so when this was written, this wasn't like an enemy. I mean, they, 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 it wasn't a threat. Assyria was the threat, okay? So then we're also going to see some prophecies concerning Babylon and things that need to uh, be made aware of. So the first thing we're going to look at when we get to chapter 46, 1 through 47, verse 15, is the Lord's dominance over Babylon, okay? The Lord's dominance over Babylon. Now, all right, I want you to think about this. This is a prophecy concerning God saying, I am supreme over Babylon. Now, this is written before Babylon would even come and destroy Jerusalem and take them all away into exile. So God is trying to establish the fact right off the bat before the the Difficult times come. I'm the one who's in control. I'm the one who dominates. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment as we go through this because I'm going to ask you a question here in a moment. Okay? So, the Babylonian gods could not relieve the burdens of Babylon. Okay, so when you look at verse 46, it says, Bel bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Their carriages were heavily loaded. A burden to a weary beast. They stooped, they bowed down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. So what he's starting out with is a statement here that these two, the Baal and Nebu, are the gods of Babylon, but they couldn't do anything to alleviate the burden, which would obviously be speaking of what's going to happen to Babylon, these gods couldn't do anything except that they're going to be carried away into exile themselves, okay? Now, they are powerless as Babylon goes into captivity. So this is basically expressing whatever people are putting their trust in is meaningless, Because ultimately, God is the one who's in control, and he is the one, and if he decides you're going into captivity, that's it. It's according to his will, his purpose, and so forth. The Lord calls Israel to remember that he was the one who sustained them. So as they're facing this difficulty, he's letting them know, Babylon's going to be taken off, but I'm the one, remember, I'm the one who has always sustained you. I'm the one who's always taking care of you. Now, there's a good thought here, okay? So, if you're like me, I like to forget bad times. Are you like that? How many of us like to sit around and dwell about difficulties, okay? No, we don't, okay? We rather sit around when we're with the family and talk about Positive things. Nobody sits around at Thanksgiving and says, hey, do you remember when the sky fell on top of us and it was really terrible? Yeah. 
We almost didn't make it out of that. We don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We would rather focus on positive. Is that not true? Okay. Here, God is calling them to remember, but here's what he's calling them to remember, how I sustained you through those difficult times. That's a little bit different. It's more than just remembering terrible times. It's remembering the God who got you through those terrible times. Now, let's stop for a moment. I want you to think, why is that necessary that we do that? Why do we need to remember the Lord who sustains us through those difficult times? Why is it good to reflect on that? Okay, give us hope for the future. Okay, that's good, John. Anybody else? All right, gives us a spirit of thanksgiving, Bruce. Okay, anybody else? I think it helps us when we're going through it to remember that God got us through the last thing or the multiple things before that. And he was always what? Faithful. Now, when I say he's faithful, he maybe didn't get you through the last thing like you wanted it to end, but he got you through it, right? He was trying to accomplish something with that, but he got you through it. But So you recognize and remember, God will get me through this. Okay? Even, even if you're facing death, God will sustain you up until the point of death because you have a hope. I think that was what John was sharing about hope for the future. You're looking to God for something better. And for us, ultimately, when we die is what? To be with Christ. So the Lord is calling Israel here to... Remember that he was the one who sustained them. The gods of gold and silver are nothing in comparison to the Lord. The gods of gold and silver are nothing in comparison to the Lord. Hey, aren't we realizing that right now? I mean, everybody strives to get a better paycheck, right? We strive to get a better paycheck because we think if we have a little bit more money, then that gives us a little bit more freedom to do whatever we want, okay? However, something's happening right now that makes what you're making even less. It's called inflation, right? And so now, you just want a little bit more money so you can pay for what you normally pay for, just what you normally pay for. You know what I'm saying? Not to have a little bit extra to do something else, and, and it's almost like a living illustration that you can't put your trust in even your finances. The gods of gold and silver. Did you understand what I'm saying? We have to put our trust in the Lord who said he would what? Take care of us. You know what I'm saying? Now, when he says he would take care of you, does that mean you're going to have a T-bone steak on your plate every day? It might be a venison steak. Some of you are like, I think that's better. Okay, what, you know, but the reality is God said he would take care of you. Period. He'll sustain you. And so the gods of gold and silver, they're nothing. The things that we put our trust in, they're nothing. Okay? Those gods cannot hear and will not deliver anyone from trouble. So he's saying to the Babylonians, you know what? Hey, you're trusting in these gods. Nebu, Baal, you've got them represented by these gold and silver images. They can't hear you. And they sure can't, what, deliver you. 
bring you out of whatever you're, what's coming. The Babylonians are to remember that God is the only God. God is the only God. Bottom line. Now, the Lord will call one from the east to execute his judgment. Now, again, he's referring here to Cyrus. Remember he mentioned Cyrus? He was going to be the instrument. Who This guy wasn't even born yet. You know what I'm saying? This would be 70 years after Babylon would even destroy Jerusalem. He's going to raise up a Persian king by the name of Cyrus from the east to what? To execute his judgment on who? The Babylonians. So think about that. All right, think about that for a moment. God already knows what's going to happen 70 years from now. And he's already moving things towards that. Now, I'm looking across this room here. There might be only one guy here that might make it 70 years from now, okay? That's Hudson up in the sound room at his age right now. But he'll be in his 80s, okay? The rest of us won't even be here. But God already knows what's going to take place. And he's already orchestrating his plan. That's the point we see here. He's calling one from the east to execute judgment. The Babylonians are to listen to the Lord as he brings his righteousness near. So pay attention. Pay attention to what, what I'm doing, who I am, why I'm doing this. This will result in salvation for Israel. And it would. When the Babylonians were defeated... The Medo-Persian kings would allow Israel to return to the land. And uh, thus we see the rebuilding of the temple, the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and so forth. And, and of course, that we have the books of Nehemiah, right, and Esther, and uh, uh, Ezra. They reflect those narrative passages from that time. So Babylon will become a humble servant in the dust when she is conquered. So she'll be humbled, okay? She'll be humbled. They will become servants of the conquerors and shamed by their nakedness. So once they were proud people, but now they'll become servants, prisoners of war, slaves, and they'll be ashamed of their nakedness. Israel... <clears throat> will respond by proclaiming the Lord of hosts as the Holy One of Israel. That's what the response of Israel will be now. The Jewish people will respond that God is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who's in control. He is the Holy One of Israel. And Babylon will no longer be called great. Okay. Do you think that's a true statement? After the Babylonians were defeated by the Medo-Persians. Do you think it's an accurate statement to say that they no longer became great? Anybody? Think through your, think through your mind. Think through history. Okay, Bruce is saying yes, and that's exactly right. Babylon would never become an empire again, Period. It would never rise up. After the Medo-Persians came the Greeks. After the Greeks 
became the four kingdoms that came out of those four Greek generals from Alexander the Great. Then came the Romans. Do you understand? And you never hear again of Babylon being an empire. Maybe it was part of a country that was significant at that time, but never again would it become a world power. And Babylon would no longer be called great. In fact, the city of Babylon for centuries was just a, a pile of ruins, which would then be excavated by archaeologists in our time. And there was one guy who tried to raise it up again, and his name was Saddam Hussein. What was his, his end? Did he make it into a great empire? No. No, he spent a lot of money trying to bring back the hanging gardens of Babylon. But we know what his end was. Of course, he ended up being executed by his own people in judgment for the ruler that he was. So it never again was great. Okay, and so the Lord is saying, Babylon, you'll not be great again. So the Lord has used Babylon to punish Judah, but she has been ruthless. So God's going to say, look here, I used you, but you were ruthless. You were ruthless. Okay, so let's stop here for a moment. A lot of times God gets a bad rap. Especially if you're watching things on the internet these days. Uh, God, God gets a bad rap because it's said that he is just a brutal God who's just wanting to kill everyone. Okay? Well, no, he's executing his punishment on Israel, and so he raises up an adversary, as he said he would, in his prophecies from the time of Moses on, that I would raise up an adversary until you turn back to me. He would raise up these adversaries. So he raised up Babylon. So here he's saying to Babylon, I, you were my tool to execute my judgment but you were ruthless. You overdid what I wanted you to do. And so therefore you're judged. Do you know what I'm saying? They, they went beyond what they were supposed to do. And I was punished Judah, take them away into captivity, but they were downright brutal. And God says, I'm holding you accountable. Yes, you did what I told you to do, but... You went beyond what I told you to do. Don't we have that kind of experience in our life? Maybe if you're a manager or, or in, in charge of someone, or maybe if you told your kids to do something, and you said, I want you to do this, and they go way beyond what you asked them to do. Not in a good way, but sometimes in a bad way. Did you understand what I'm saying? And this is what's happening here, okay? God is saying to them that they went beyond what they were supposed to do. And so Babylon, who boasted of her greatness, will become childless and a widow in one day. So the reality is, is he's saying, in one day, boom, it's going to be over. And you know what? We know that's true, right? How do we know that? Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar's throwing a big shindig. He's, he's blaspheming God by using the vessels, the handwriting on the wall. Daniel comes out, interprets the handwriting, says, this night you're going to be done. Sure enough, history tells us before the night was over, what? The Medo-Persians came in and defeated Babylon. 
One night. Belshazzar was dead. It was over. Babylon boasted in its knowledge, but they will not know from where judgment will fall. So they think they know everything, but they don't know everything, do they? Because they don't know where judgment is coming from. So the Lord encourages Babylon to continue in its sorcery, but it will not help them. He's kind of like saying, okay, go ahead and do your witchcraft thing, do your sorcery, appeal to your, to your soothsayers and so forth, but it isn't going to help you. All that effort isn't going to help you. And Babylon's religious leaders cannot save themselves, therefore Babylon cannot be saved. There's no way that they're going to be helped. The Lord expresses his dominance over over Babylon. So now we come to chapter 48, which is 1 to 22. And so now we're going to see the exhortation to Israel. This is the encouragement to Israel. This is what he wants them to hear him and even consider. Okay? So this is in verses 1 through 22 of chapter 48. So the Lord reminds Israel of its hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The Lord tells them that he prophesied concerning their captivity. Folks, it goes all the way back. Okay, so let me kind of take you back in the Old Testament, uh, into the history, all the way back to Moses. He is on the east side of the Jordan. All right, they're in the land of the Amorites. God has told Moses, you can't cross over into the promised land. That's because Moses disobeyed him and what? Struck the rock twice rather than speaking to it. And so when he is giving the, the covenant to them again, he's reiterating, he's giving them cursings and blessings. He says to them that a time was going to come when they would turn away from the Lord, they were going to be hypocrites, and God was going to bring someone in, and that person, that nation that God was going to bring in was going to carry them away into exile. Several hundred years before this would actually happen. God told them, Moses said, you're getting ready to go into the land and take it, but I'm telling you, when you turn away, this is going to happen. And so the Lord tells them to remember that he had what? Prophesied that this was going to take place. That this is going to take place. All right, let's stop for a moment. Do you think God knows everything about your life? Does he? Yeah, okay. I mean everything. From the moment you were born, do you think he knows everything that's going to happen to you yet that you're not even aware of up until the time that you die? Yeah, he actually knows everything about you up until eternity, right? For eternity. So he knows every detail. And this is a powerful point to remember. God knows everything about us. He knows things about us that we don't even know about ourselves. Here he is, he's telling them, look, I told you long ago that this was going to take place. Because of their treachery and rebelliousness 
Israel has become spiritually insensitive. Spiritually insensitive. Okay. This is a good point for us to stop and consider for a moment. What do you think causes spiritual insensitivity? Well, let me ask you, what is spiritual insensitivity? Anybody give me a definition? What they think it is? When you talk about somebody as spiritually insensitive, what do you think that means? Okay, so they no longer, they're, they're not open to the spirit, they're, they're just insensitive, spirituality means nothing. Okay, indifferent to their sins, okay, all right, anybody else? Okay, if we take what John and Bruce are both saying, we could also add in there indifferent to God, okay? They become indifferent to what God wants in their life. They become spiritually insensitive. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying this in judgment of Israel. Okay, you thought, I thought this was an exhortation. It's going to be, folks. Listen to me. But he's saying the reason why you're spiritually insensitive to me and to everything else is because of what? Because of their what? Yeah, their treachery and rebelliousness, their sin. Okay, so what's the lesson from that? Because I hear people all the time saying, man, I wish the, I, I used to sense the Lord in my life, but I just don't feel that anymore. Uh, I, I, that kind of bothers me when somebody says feel. You can go beyond feeling, okay? But I, I don't sense him anymore. I'm not seeing his hand in my life. I just feel spiritually dead. What can we say causes that? Did God decide to leave? Huh? Yeah, they left God by doing what? Okay, this, you're right, Bruce. The scripture does say quench the spirit. They've quenched the spirit. Another passage, Paul would also say grieve the spirit, okay? By their, as Bruce mentioned, their sin, okay? So now they become spiritually insensitive, okay? They're, they, can't, they can't see him. Now, they might actually think they're okay. Like, for instance... The letters to the seven churches, the letter to the church of Laodicea, they were spiritually blind. That's another term for it. But they thought they were doing okay. Why? Because everything else was going okay. But God says, you're not even aware that you are wretched and naked. Spiritually naked. And it's because of our what? Our sin. Okay, our sin. now let me ask you a question. Now, we've, we, now that we, everybody's on the same page with this, what's the remedy? Okay, Gene says prayer. What, what, what else is it? Obedience. Eliminate the sin. Confession, repentance, okay? Because here's the thing. Repentance goes beyond confession. You know, repentance goes beyond confession and that repentance is a change of mind in action. Okay? So it's kind of like, I remember years ago, I was, I was reading some publication, and it was like a political, a political publication or something, or a, a national issues magazine, and they had a, they had a little uh, cartoon in it. So I remember when I was in elementary school, maybe you guys can remember this, I remember we used to, 
that was back when they told you the stories of the founding and remember the story about uh, George Washington chopping down the cherry tree and he told his father, I cannot tell a lie, I chopped down a cherry. How many remember that story in school? Yep, okay, all right. Well, this little cartoon showed George there with his ponytail dressed up like a colonial and his dad and a whole bunch of trees chopped down. And the caption was, Dad saying to George, I know, George, you cannot tell a lie, but can you stop chopping down the cherry trees? And, and that's a good illustration of confession, but no what? Repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes you say, oh, I just need to confess. Well, okay, well, there's a lot of confession going on, but George is still chopping down the cherry trees. And, and that's the solution to spiritual insensitivity is doing something. It's re true repentance, okay? But here he's saying to them, it's because of your treachery and rebellion, you're spiritually insensitive to me. Here we go. The Lord will delay his judgment for his sake in order that Israel may return. So he's going to delay the ultimate judgment so that they can return. Now, let's talk about God's sovereignty. The Lord calls Israel to hear that he is eternal and the only God. Now, would you agree that they should have already known that? Shouldn't they have already known that? Now, why has he got to tell them that? Because they're spiritually insensitive, but what are they also? Their spiritual insensitivity is leading them to do what? Walk away to God to who? What's that? Other gods, other deities, yes, other idols. Do you understand what I'm saying? They should have known that he was eternal and the only God. They should have known that. But because of their sin, their treachery, they become spiritually insensitive. Guess what? They're going chasing after other gods. They should have known better. Okay? They should have known better. So the Lord will call one to bring his judgment on Babylon. So again, he's referring to who? Cyrus. He's going to call one to bring his judgment. So the Lord has been guiding Israel through his law, but Israel did not listen. So he says, look, I've been guiding you as to what you need to do from my law. Now, what's he talking about the law here? He's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of that is a guide to Israel about how they're supposed to what? Live their lives. But what? They don't listen. You know what, folks? God's guiding us today, not just through those five books, but through all 66 books, right? And it's up to us whether or not we want to what? Listen. Listen. You know, I'm bothered because I've had this this, this, this has happened a while back, more than 10 years ago. I had somebody, they were telling me about growing and, and I thought, oh, that's great. And I said to them, well, you want to make sure that you do your Bible reading. And they said, I don't need to read my Bible. I'm doing okay with the Lord without my Bible. 
uh, somebody picked me off off the floor. How can you do okay without his Bible? In fact, I know there are believers in other parts of the world that don't have a Bible that will do anything to get a Bible. Why? To know what God is saying. That's not a good place for somebody to be. That's saying you're not wanting to listen to him directly or you're listening to something else other than what he has said. Look, the primary means for God to speak to you is where, folks? Yeah, right, Bruce, his word. That's the primary means. He doesn't need to show up in a vision. There doesn't need to be a light at the end of your bed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It, it doesn't need to be that. He, he just needs to talk to you, and he does through his word. Okay? So he's been guiding them through the law. Israel did not listen. Had they listened, they would not have experienced the exile and watched their children killed. He's basically saying, look, had you listened, none of this stuff would have happened to you. Sounds like a parent, right? Warn our kids, don't do something. They do it, and we, we want to say, if you'd listened, this wouldn't have happened. Well, that doesn't work either, right? But he's telling them, had you listened, this wouldn't have happened. So the Lord calls Israel to flee Babylon. Get out of Babylon. So he's talking to that future generation when, when the Medo-Persians conquer them, and they are allowed to go back. You get out of Babylon. The Lord would provide for them as he did in the wilderness with Moses. Meaning, I'm going to take care of you as you return. I'm going to take care of you as you return. The Lord proclaims that there is no peace for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. You and I need to remember that. Because sometimes we think the wicked are going to get, they just seem to be getting away with it. There's no peace. God has a different way of settling things. Different way of settling things. I remember years ago reading a, a daily bread reading, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It was talking about a farming community where all the farmers didn't do any work because they were church-going people. They didn't do any work on a Sunday. But there was one farmer, he didn't go to church. He didn't believe in God. So he still worked on the Sunday. And so therefore he reaped more bounty or profit or whatever because he, and so when it came time to harvest, he had a big harvest compared to the other guys who took off their Sundays. So he took out a full page ad in the paper mocking their God, saying, you're dumb, you're stupid, you took one day off. If you had not taken that day off to your God, you would have been doing better, you would have all this to do and whatever, and your God... And here you are, I'm doing better than you because I worked. And he just went on mocking God and mocking them. Two days later in the same paper was a little ad that wasn't a full page ad. It didn't need to be from the rest of those farmers. And it said, God doesn't settle accounts in October. Meaning, God is the ultimate one, and it's not what you got in October with your bounty. It's when you appear before him, he settles the account. So, 
This is the reality. There is no peace for the wicked. All right, so there we are. Anybody got a question? Because next week, we're going to look at the rejected servant. All right, so we're going to look, start looking at the rejected servant. Now, who is the servant here in Isaiah? Anybody remember? Who's the servant? Yeah, the Messiah. So we're going to start seeing the rejected servant and the remnant. That's those who are left over. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We're getting ready to get into the passage where it's going to start talking about the things that Jesus, the Messiah, would go through. At this point, they only know him as the Messiah. We know it's Jesus. Now, here's the thing. They didn't understand that it was the Messiah. So when we get into Isaiah 53, in two weeks, we're going to see the suffering servant. But they didn't understand that. That the Messiah had to suffer. So you think about it. All those people who are following Jesus and he's saying to them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. And they're like, no, you're not. It didn't enter into their mind that he had to because he was fulfilling what? The prophecy of Isaiah. So we'll start talking about that next week.